0: You're listening to The Queerly Books Podcast with Rob Gillett. Hello and welcome to series two of The Queerly Books Podcast, the place where we explore the vibrant world of LGBTQ literature. I'm Rob Gillett and my guest on this episode is the New York Times bestselling YA author Becky Albertalli. Now, before we get going, I just want to say welcome back, if you've listened before, and a big hello to any new listeners joining us for the first time. You've got a whole series of great episodes to enjoy, and an incredible lineup of guests to look forward to this summer. Just don't forget to click follow or subscribe wherever you listen. This is the first of a two-part episode with one of the biggest names in YA, author of Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which inspired the movie Love, Simon?, Becky Albertalli. In today's episode, we take a dive deep into a topic that has stirred quite a bit of conversation within our community, the intersection of authorship, identity and representation. We're going to discuss the controversy surrounding authors who write about experiences that are not their own, the importance of diverse representation and the complexities that arise when an author's own identity evolves in the public eye. Becky is someone who has been at the epicentre of these discussions, someone whose work and personal journey offer a fascinating lens through which to explore these issues, having been both lauded for her heartwarming narratives and scrutinised for her role in writing queer stories. In 2020, Becky came out as bisexual, a personal revelation that added another layer to the conversation around her work – Today, we'll delve into that journey, the accusations of appropriating queerness, and how her own experiences have influenced her work. Becky, welcome to the Queerly Books podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, and uh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here.
0: You're very welcome. Um, I always like to ask guests this, but where in the world are you?
1: I am in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, in the US. Um, so uh, not the cool part of Atlanta but um close
0: enough. I went to Atlanta last year and I loved it. I was sort of yeah. there oh, a, Yeah, I was there just for a couple of nights then we flew on somewhere else but and then we came back to come home again and I really liked it. I was looking forward to getting back to Atlanta more than I enjoyed the bit in the middle which I won't talk about. (laughs) It was a cruise. It was awful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm always interested to know uh, for an author, what is this period like for you where you've got a new book out, the publication kind of day, week, month. Um, What's it like? Do you enjoy it?
1: I think so. Yeah. It's always very surreal. Like I think I am not going to know if I enjoyed it until the dust settles a little bit. Um, But Yeah, it's it's a weird moment because, you know, you have this piece of work that, um, you know, in the beginning is only yours. And, you know, and then more and more people are reading it kind of with the early copies going out. But, um, you know, it still feels like, you know, your baby a little bit. And now it's I mean, it's still my baby, but it's also a product And there's that weird tension there where, um, you know, it is out there in the hands of people who, um, you know, it's not their baby. They shouldn't feel any pressure to treat it like it's their baby. Um, But um, it's a strange thing to let it loose, you know.
0: I think often when I ask authors that there's also that kind of delay between you finishing that final draft of the book and now, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like revisiting something. You have to put pause on everything and then suddenly it's all go again.
1: Yeah, typically, yes. With this one, I've had kind of a unique experience with this one where like, I just did not let it go. Like um, I've been trying, I mean, I have been working on a different book um, that is under contract I have an outline, I have several attempts at a first chapter, but like, I, I'm still very much, um, you know, in the headspace of this book. And, um, you know, just like, drawing little pictures and like making stickers of it and um, just making little promo graphics and things like that. And and like, I, I feel like, I don't know. I I feel like I never put it aside. Um, And usually I do for a bit.
0: Well, I guess that must be actually very helpful now that you're having to talk about it with numerous people, I'm sure. Um, We keep referring to it as it, but we should say your new book, Imogen, (laughs) obviously, um, is out now in the US and the UK. Um, For anyone who doesn't already know, can you give me a quick summary of, of what it's about?
1: Yeah. So Imogen, obviously is, um, so it is YA Realistic Contemporary, and it is about a high school senior named Imogen, who is, um, she's like the token straight friend in the queer friend group. Like she um, considers herself a, you know, a very devoted ally. She has a queer sister, her two best friends are queer. And, um, and she's just very, like she consumes a lot of queer media and she's really um, kind of in the thick of like queer discourse. She's like absorbing a lot of it. And, um, and so, and, and she's also naturally like a people pleaser. So she's got a lot of concerns about, you know, invading queer spaces and kind of making sure that she's not overstepping. She ends up visiting one of her best friends, Lily uh, at college, like Lily's a year older and When she gets there, she finds out um, Lily, who in the throes of kind of her own imposter syndrome, has told all of her college friends that she and Imogen used to date because Lily's like, oh, yeah, I totally had an ex-girlfriend. And it kind of ended up being Imogen. Um, And, you know, they're broken up. It's amicable. Everything's cool. It's fine. There's just one tiny detail. All of my friends think you're bisexual. And. So for Imogen, that is, she's like thrust into this situation where for the very first time, she's not leaning with her straightness. That is not like, you know, the uh, frame that is put around kind of every interaction. And um, and it kind of gives her the space uh, to, you know, explore some questions that have, always been there um and then specifically yeah. oh teddy <laughs> teddy come here buddy if you need something come here okay um it, and so that gives it the space to explore some questions that have always been there um you know there's um a lot in this story i think about compulsory heterosexuality and uh repression and denial And, um, you know, trying to capture like what that felt like for me, um, and also kind of the ways in which, you know, the discourse and some of the conversations that, um, you know, just the, the way, the way that we sometimes will talk about things as a broad community can get a little bit complicated, um when we try to like apply that to our own experiences, which may or may not track with that. Um, But, um, but it's also a rom-com. There's like, you know, Lily's friend, Tessa um, is like, you know, she is like definitely, um, well, she's very much a flirt and she kind of, um has certain qualities that appeal to Imogen very much. And Imogen gets to kind of sort through like what are these feelings that she's having for Tessa? And what are these feelings um, that maybe have even predated that?
0: What happens really with Imogen is this sudden, sudden kind of tailspin that she finds herself in, from both the the lie about the relationship, and also this person she then meets at the same time, and it sort of combines to be a very exciting but sort of destabilizing period for her, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to talk more about the story in a moment, but but something that. I think is a really important thing to talk about in relation to the book is that the book opens with a letter from you to the reader, Um, a very personal account of your own coming out and the way in which that happened. Is that something that you're okay to discuss?
1: Oh, absolutely. And also, uh, um, you know, actually, I, I, and I realize I don't know if the final version of the UK copy does. I know the US hardcover does not have the letter, I, I would say that is maybe one of my biggest fears upon publication that this book was going out into the world without that letter. Like I like having that frame around it because um y- you know, I realize this is a book that is wading into some kind of fraught territory and it's fraught for me personally too.
0: Yeah, let's let's pick up there because Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda came out in 2015, and then the movie Love, Simon followed uh, a few years later, and it was kind of at that point that this sort of subset of of readers seemed to develop a problem um, with you as as the author of that story. Um, can you explain a bit about what that was and how that unfolded?
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of a perfect storm in some ways, because um, for one thing, Simon had the unusual experience of finding the majority of its audience three years after publication, because um, it was this little mid-list book that did, you know, have a a lot of word of mouth buzz. Like that was, was real. um, And that was really powerful. It carried the book like way farther than any of us ever expected. But um, a movie reaches an audience that like, it's just, you can't compare that to you know, your basic little Midwest YA contemporary debut that Simon was a couple of years earlier. So there's that, there's the numbers, but there's also it kind of all happened at a time when um these conversations were kind of happening in the book community and becoming um, you know, just more and more mainstream, like more and more people were talking about um, you know inclusivity and diversity in storytelling, um, but also interrogating who was writing these stories, who has a right to tell certain stories and um, and you know, and there wasn't a consensus on that, um, but a couple of key, you know, dots on the timeline, I think would be, I would say um, 2014, which is when We Need Diverse Books, um, which is now a nonprofit. It's one of my favorite organizations ever. Um, But that is um, kind of the birth of of We Need Diverse Books happened after Simon sold to HarperCollins, but before it came out. Um, I credit We Need Diverse Books with Simon's momentum and kind of the the way that it kind of overperformed. Um and then um in 2015 uh an author, Corinne Davish, made the hashtag own voices. Um so it was a couple months after Simon came out. The idea of own voices is um it is a way to kind of flag that a book um centers a main character or just you know a character from a marginalized community that is the same as the author. Um, so the author comes from the same communities, their character, at least in, you know, whatever, um, you know, whether whether it is like, you know, gender identity or uh, sexuality or race. And sometimes the intersection um, between or among those his own voices. Sometimes just, um, you know, one of those things is own voices. Um, but Corinne from the beginning was so clear um, like Corinne could not have made it clearer that we had to be careful. Um, you can even find this on the original like website, discussing own voices. It's right there. It was right there from the beginning, 2015 saying like, we cannot turn this into something to police author identities. Um, this hashtag, which I I really, you know, it's become complicated and there have been, um, conversations within the book community about kind of whether it's even a useful thing to work with right now um but it's a hashtag that like I I always found that framework to be really helpful in the way that it was intended um I've used it you know when discussing books um it's like it's helpful to use as a way of directing um, energy and resources to books, but it is dangerous uh, when we step outside of that and use it as, um, as a way to kind of determine who is allowed to write this and who is not, because um, very quickly you end up with a couple of different spaces where you, you just don't really truly have a way of knowing who is in-group and who is out-group. Um, so particularly this has come up with um, gender, sexuality, um, certain disabilities, and um, a lot of like trauma history as well.
0: How were you then caught up in that? Because I think what what you're kind of getting to with with the way that the own voices kind of movement progressed was – that in some ways the motivation behind it and the meaning became a little bit lost i think particularly on social media where it was it was almost oversimplified so it was taken extremely literally um mm-hmm. to the point where you've you've then experienced a backlash around your own writing exactly as you said around a, a, an area that you have to handle very carefully because you don't always know
1: the way it ended up playing out uh was I really truly believe that most of the people who were engaging in this discourse were doing so in good faith. Like I actually really believe that, um, not everyone, there are definitely, um, some bad actors in the mix I would (laughs) I would assume, but, um, most people I think are just kind of, you know, we're all doing the best we can trying to, um, you know, advocate for, um, equity within this industry, trying to, um, Advocate for authentic representation, trying to be a good ally to those groups that we are not a part of. And, um, you know, and so gradually what we ended up with, with like own voices and not even just a hashtag, but just kind of the general conversation and the tone of it was like, um, you know, it kind of went from, you know, we want more inclusive stories from everybody. And then it kind of transitioned to, um, you know, the, um, you you know, there is a particular value in having stories from people who have that lived experience or who um, have, you know, a, you know, personal stake in that community. And then that shifted again to, um, you're not a member of this community. Why did you write this? Um, and I like where it gets really hard to explain is like, I, I was very much a true believer in this. Like I, um, it's still hard to shake the guilt that I feel for writing Simon versus the homo sapiens agenda in 2013, you know, it was 10 years ago. And, um, and every day I'm still kind of like, should I have written that? You know, like, um, because again and again, um, I was told and I really internalized and, and felt this, that, um, I was, taking something, um, from like, you know, that, that was a story that I had stolen from people who had lived it and I had no connection to it. Um, people had different, um, theories about like my motivations. Um, some people, I mean, obviously a a lot of people, I would say most people, who were who had heard of it at all and and who were engaging with it um either loved it or liked it or were neutral about it like this wasn't the majority of people who were engaging with it it's just a, a loud kind of minority um of, of voices but um you know I I kind of, had this um trap that I almost put myself in, and it was this um circular logic kind of where it was like I was told by queer people that um that I shouldn't have written this because I was a straight woman, and then even as kind of the second piece of that started to feel a little bit uh, less certain, like, I'm like, Oh, maybe I am starting to question. I shut it down uh, because I felt an obligation to defer to queer people on queer topics. Right. Um, So if they felt like, I was obviously a straight woman from the text, or if they felt like I shouldn't have written this because I'm a straight woman, then I shouldn't have written this because I'm a straight woman because I am not going to shout over queer people. Um, And it felt like I didn't have the right to question things. Um, And I, I definitely put a lot of that on myself. Like this is, you know, very much filtered through my own neurosis. Nobody, um, you know, no one person forced my hand or like, you know.
0: But I think that's that's true for everyone. Like we can all only filter everything in the very unique and personal way that we do. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's completely understandable that you are in this situation where at the time when you wrote the book, you had not considered any of these things that then are suddenly being leveled at you and you feel an extreme kind of weight and pressure at a point where it's too late to actually change anything you know the book exists it's set it's kind of set in stone and then suddenly you've got all of these thoughts given to you directed at you that you have to try and reconcile with not really much room to to make a change and I can no. see that being extremely difficult and then the other side of that, of course, is your own sexuality and dealing with that. And and which is, you know, a tremendously difficult thing for anyone, let alone being in the middle of the situation <laughs> you found yourself in, where you are being criticised for something that you're not even sure you are at this point. You've got mm-hmm. to try and do the right thing because you're trying to, I guess firefight in some ways especially I guess at the point where the movie was around it was it was a balancing act of of maintaining that kind of positive you know the bit of the audience that was very positive about the book and the film you had to sustain that as well and um, mm-hmm. so even just saying all of that <laughs> I feel stressed <laughs> out I feel like that's a lot of pressure um it, it, what was it like for you during that period and and did it did it almost I guess spoil that that period for you of, of professional success when you're having to actually shoulder a lot of this personal stuff that's come out as a consequence of it.
1: I've been thinking a lot about that, like with Imogen coming out and, um, and Imogen has been really well reviewed and hit the New York times list. And and a lot of things that um, just, I did not dare to hope for with this book, you know, have, have happened for it. And, um, and i I'm finding that I felt very moved by a lot of people's um, reactions to it, but I've been having trouble feeling joy. Um, And it occurred to me that, no, I don't think I felt any professional joy since 2018. You know, Um, the last time I remember feeling any kind of professional joy in any professional context is probably like 2017 having, you know, just a dreamy time on the movie set. And I loved, I loved that. And um, I mean, there have been some really cool moments. Um, They've always felt a little surreal. Everything um, has kind of always come with this feeling like the other shoe's about to drop Um, because with Simon, with Love, Simon and with Leah, the other shoe dropped, like, you know, it it was really bad in 2018. I, I left Twitter very abruptly because I, it was leave Twitter or, or leave the industry. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, you know, that was kind of when the harassment got very overt and targeted and kind of reached an initial fever pitch. Um, and there were a bunch of different flare ups. It kind of ebbed and flowed over time. Um, what I, found myself trying to do you know and this is sort of right when some of these questions were kind of starting to pop up to the point where there are people who I came out to thought that I had come out to them in 2018 I didn't realize that but like I must have been talking about it sort of but um you know I um I shut it down like I I I didn't want to Think about it. I certainly wasn't going to engage with it. I um I deliberately wrote outside of that space for quite a while. Like I, I released a couple of books that didn't have any um overt queer representation with the main love story. Um and I was just trying to kind of step outside of, of that space for a minute you know um but you know I think where I kind of realized that like I was never gonna be able to get away from it uh was um love Victor which is my favorite show I love you know I I, I love it. I love love Simon I love love Victor um but love Victor came out in 2020 in June of 2020 and it was like everything started up again All the discourse, all the like, you know, by the straights, for the straights, memes or whatever that, um, you know, that just kept coming. And, and, um, you know, you can kind of always tell when there's like a viral tweet because it starts leaking over to Instagram and stuff and like, but um, and. As soon as I, I realized that that was just gonna be my reality, I started drafting that essay. Um, and I don't think I knew when I started writing it for sure what the conclusion of the essay would be. Um, but I think I was sure enough to start writing it. Um, and you know, I wrote it and then I had to come out to my family uh, I was 37 you know um and um and my, and my family they were wonderful you know and uh, my inner circle of friends it was just like I had never wanted to have those conversations. I especially didn't want to have them at age 37, you know and um you know and so then um you know, I was in this place where I had like kind of come out to the inner circle people and I had my essay and I was like, I'm gonna post it I'm gonna, and then, Um, and then a really uh beloved and well respected author, an author like I really admired and respected, like made an Instagram post that was just saying the same things that I'd been hearing for years, um, which it just like gutted me. And it was like, that's it, I'm posting this now. Um, so it was like the end of August 2020. I posted that and I didn't have an expectation that it was gonna fix the situation, I knew that, like, that, that ship had sailed. It, the only thing that I had left to kind of hold was, um, you know, I guess I was giving myself the ability to talk about it um, because being silent about it and kind of having people talk about, Uh, Things that felt less and less true every day about me and um, having that be my professional identity that was like, you know, just such a a big part of my life uh, and such a public thing. Um, And it felt so wrong and I felt so different from it. So, um, you know, I... I find it unambiguously relieving to be able to talk about it. Um, I have found it really nice to be talking. Like, you know, people have asked me, like, is it so hard to talk about this stuff on tour with Imogen? And I'm like, no, like, this is like the first, you know, like what was really hard and and stressful was having to field these questions, which were always there, but field these questions before Um, this, this I can, I can do. Um, but yeah, and I I won't get too much into like what happened after I came out, but there was discourse and a lot of that ends up making its way into the book.
0: Yeah. And, um, one of the things that, well, two things, I think one is, is just, we always talk about everyone's coming out journey being completely unique and yours is clearly very much in that category i don't think anyone will have quite been on the the path that you were were on were put on i guess by by the the outside world and usually it's a very kind of internal thing even though the you know the the attitudes and reactions of your kind of closest family and friends influence those choices having that pressure of of this discourse around your work being the thing that pushes you in that direction must've oh, w- just been- I mean, I,
1: I wish, I wish I could say that was true, but un- unfortunately, and I guess this is a really big piece of it that I should have mentioned. It is less unique than I would want it to be. It It is a thing that um, happened several times before me, you know, to, in, in various ways and on, you know, a variety of scales. Um, but it's happened to, you many authors to the point where whenever i i I don't know what to say when i see people say and they say it all the time like um oh the vast majority of uh gay ya books about boys you know like that are written by straight women i'm like who who's left who have who have you not forced out of the closet or you know because it's one by one all it's um yeah, so it, it's been a lot of um, non binary people and a lot of um, queer women and a lot of trans men pressured out, um, but not exclusively. There have also been cis men. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, and, and in a particularly heartbreaking story, um, trans woman Isabel Fall, that wasn't in YA, that was in um, sci fi. But, um, and it's happened to actors. I mean, everybody, who knows about me would certainly know about Kit Connor from Heartstopper. <laughs> like, devastating, you mm-hmm. know? It's, it's a thing. And we still do it because every time it happens, it, it feels like it's completely separate from Harry Styles or whoever we're accusing of queer baiting this time. You know, like certain people are seen, I think, as acceptable targets.
0: Yeah, I guess related to that is is this idea that you discuss in the letter about being boxed in. So mm-hmm. there's something that struck a chord with me as, as a queer person as well, and I think many other queer people will have had this sense. Can you explain a bit more about what you mean by that, that concept of being boxed in?
1: You know, what that means to me is just... Um, this idea of feeling like, um, you know, I had kind of put myself in, in my place and I had built these walls up and, and like I had, you know, just created these, um, boundaries and and limitations, I guess, for that aspect of myself, um, very early on without realizing I was doing it. and um you know and and of course there is uh pressure from the outside as well but um but a lot of it you know was internal where um you know 2015 when people asked me questions about my sexuality uh, which came up just about every interview um i felt like I um, owed it to the queer community to answer, and I and that, like I felt like people deserved to know my positionality um, and kind of know what they were getting into. Which, to be clear, I firmly believe that nobody should feel any pressure to read anything that they worry might hurt them or just might not resonate you know like i i i feel like it is an absolutely okay stance for any reader to take to be like i only read stuff from openly queer people but i have shifted my opinion like at the time i felt like when asked i owed an answer and i don't think that's true now um you know i think you know creators we or otherwise can answer that question or not answer it however we want. And then readers can kind of use that information or lack thereof to make their own decisions. Um, no harm, no fault, you know. <laughs> but, um, but because I felt so compelled to answer that, um, there ended up being this massive paper trail online of me just in every outlet, just being like, I'm straight, I'm straight, I'm straight, you know. And, um, even now, you know, it's, it's like every, every day I'm called a straight woman by somebody on the internet, you know, uh, even after everything, um, because, you know, if you miss m- the memo on my essay and have never followed me or anything, um, and all you know is that when you picked up Simon versus in 2016 or something like that, or 2018, and went and kind of did a Google search on me then, you know, like that's, and that's the box, you know?
0: It's a little bit like when newspapers print apologies and they've run a front page story on something that (laughs) turned out to not be true. And then the the apologies, a tiny little postage stamp size paragraph on page 13 of the paper months later.
1: Yeah. Well, what's so funny though, is that like, it wasn't, like when I posted my essay, it was like massive. Like it was my entire online world, but it's just that it's a bubble, you know? So, you know, reminding myself that like, even though it seems like it's everybody in the entire universe who is like listening to me, share these things that I don't wanna share and stuff, it was like, uh, for better, for worse, you know, YA books in general like, are kind of niche in a way, like I, the, the number of times that I've had conversations with friends of mine from outside the industry who aren't authors, maybe not like readers to that degree. And it's not a particular hobby trying to explain what I write. It's like, I'll be like, oh, yeah. So it's like for teenagers, um, it's kind of like realistic. Contemporary, and I try to be like, you know, give an example. um They've never heard of that person, like, kind of like John Green, then, and they're like, I'm like Fault in Our Stars, and they're like, maybe. And I'm like, okay, it's like Twilight, but like no vampires, no werewolves, <laughs> like you know. Like, and they're like, got it, you know. So, <laughs>
0: um, as a kind of final question on this this part of our conversation, um, I guess. I want to know kind of where you are at right now in 2023 with, with all of that. And if you have any kind of sage advice or conclusions on it that you, you can now see and now almost used to, to move forward and, and move away from it, I suppose, in some ways.
1: You know, I'm in a much better place with it than I was in 2020. Like that was horrible. Like it was so, it was really traumatic and it continued being traumatic and I didn't, Help that it kept coming, like they're just again and again. There would be some other, um, just you know, some people really felt very certain that I had some kind of other motive or something, and just. It, It was like a thorn in their side and they cared so much about it that like, you know, months later, they just wanted to make that into a thing. And like, you know, so it really kept resurfacing. Um, Most people were wonderful. Like, I just, I felt like my author community, book community and stuff were wonderful. Um, It's just those um, outliers just feel so loud especially with this kind of stuff that's so raw. Um, And I wish I could say that like, I am in the best place with it. I'm not. I mean, time has helped a lot. And writing this book, writing Imogen has helped a lot. Um, Talking to people has helped a lot. It helped a lot going on tour in person because also, too, an, an important piece of this, this is like in 2020, this, you know, like book Twitter kind of, if I lost book Twitter, I lost my queer community, right? Like, you know, I, you know, we were in lockdown. There weren't vaccines yet. It wasn't, you know, um, so it's very isolated. And it has been really wonderful to, like, actually get to have in-person conversations Um with people. Um, and I was able to, you know, as vaccines are introduced and stuff, I was able to like see people before that, but, um, yeah, you know, I think it's up and down because it's like, I still have, um, a certain amount of trepidation about kind of entering any kind of queer online space I um I think I was holding my breath with this book coming out just hoping that like the real queer people would not expose me as some kind of fraud um you know which is like such a I mean that honestly it's such a common bisexual experience apparently to like just like forever feel like fraud but um I, I would say the, the biggest change internally for me is just I, I have really come down firmly on the side of like, you know, creators and non creators. Like, we, we have a right to privacy, we have a right to figure this stuff out. On our own timelines. Um, We have a right to change our minds. We have a right to never come out. We have a right to come out if we choose to, whenever and however we choose to. Um, I think it is, I I don't think it's cool to critique somebody's coming out to, um, you know, to feel like um, you are entitled to um, knowing it or weighing in on whether you think it's real or not or whatever, you know, I think, um, I think that's really toxic culture that we have um, created and reinforced in so many online spaces, especially creative spaces. Um, You know, and I have my own specific ideas for like best practices kind of within the book community, at least for kind of how to navigate that nuance of like, Protecting yourself as a reader versus not um, crossing boundaries with creators, but um, most importantly, I, w- I guess I would just want to reinforce for any um, authors out there. And this is something that's that really truly is affecting so many people at every single stage of the writing process. You know, uh, writers also people. In publishing who are not writers people in the book community people outside the book community as well you know but like oh my gosh the number of people i've heard from at every stage of the game who are shelving manuscripts because they know they won't be able to deal with that um that kind of scrutiny or they are you know they've sold a book and they're trying to figure out how to come out because they know they're going to have to it's unacceptable that, that we've, we've created this, we have no idea, like, pe- we, have, we have no idea how many people we're hurting. I don't even know how many people, but I, it, it's, it's so many more than people realize. And, um, and I, I wish I could say that those fears are overblown. Um, but I'm, you know, I mean, people saw what happened to me and what has been happening to so many other creatives in different industries the fears are valid but I would just want you to know that like I have your back um and increasingly I think people are talking about this so many authors and creators um I see a lot of people talk about it on YouTube like people have your back and uh, you're not alone <laughs> and um and if you feel comfortable moving forward with that like queer piece of art or whatever it is that you want to put into the world. Like you, no matter what people say to you, like you do not owe people any answers on that. And I, it, I, I'd be so happy to, to like talk to you through any of the um, specific deflection techniques that i sort of (laughs) ended up using without realizing it um that i kind of arrived at a little too late you know for that first round of interviews but i could um share that with you if that's helpful but just you don't owe anybody
0: that you're listening to the queerly books podcast with rob gillett next week in part two of my chat with becky we'll be focusing on her latest book imogen obviously featuring a protagonist whose experiences resonate with Becky's own journey. A self-proclaimed hopelessly heterosexual character who finds her identity unravelling in a queer college setting. Imogen's story explores the nuances of sexuality, identity and friendship in Becky's signature warm and witty style. Make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you listen so that you don't miss that. In the meantime, make sure you're following Queerly Underscore Books on Twitter and This Is Queerly on Instagram for all the latest updates. I've been Rob Gillett. Thanks for listening.